Yeah, it's. I mean, I'd say about forty percent of guys under the age of forty have experienced erectile dysfunction at some point. Uh, some of them are definitely struggling with it, like you know they, they've been dealing with it for for a few years, or they have um, significant erectile dysfunction. But more of them are just they've experienced it. And obviously, every decade it gets worse. We say fifty percent of the age of fifty, sixty percent of the age of sixty, and on. Mm. Um, but but the reason why, I mean, I I, I think that um, at least my my idea behind this, just because I see it often, is two things um lifestyle like we talked about um that sedentary lifestyle leads to things like hypertension high cholesterol diabetes all these decreased amount of blood flow to the penis um decrease your testosterone levels as well um and then the other one is pornography uh pornography has really impacted it's really played a negative role in terms of um expectations All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode, a very special episode in my eyes of the Modern Mask Unity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK, a.k.a. Coach Kyle. What's up, everybody? It's Anwar Ahmed, a.k.a. A Squared. And today we have brought on someone that I'm excited to talk about. I know Anwar is too, and I know you'll all love to listen. His name is Dr. Justin Human. He is a men's health urologist. We are very excited to have you on. But before we do that, to talk about all of the things, men's reproductive health, erectile dysfunction, testosterone, you know what time it is, folks. It's check. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? It's a classic mood check. And today we're going to start with Dr. Justin Human. How are you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Well, l- listen, we, we, we are more into the realm of getting beyond the doing good and the doing well. You know what I love about the mood check side note is that every time you do the check, the guest smiles. Every time <laughs> I say mood, you say check and the guest is like, what is this? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we would like to ask you even further, uh, what's beyond the well? What's What would be a mood of yours that you're navigating? Uh, let's see if we can get to a little bit of a truth. Um, well, my current mood, I'd say my current mood, I'm, I'm actually pretty relaxed. So it's a Saturday morning here. Um, I really have nothing on the docket for today. Mm. So after this, it'll be a chill day. I can, I'll do exactly what I want. I run some errands, go to the gym. And see some friends a little later tonight. But for the moment, you know, very relaxed and very, um, I guess, at peace. Mm. Mm. There it is. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. That's great. And uh, a little sounds like a little self day too, which you know is 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 rare to get. And when you get them, it's 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 a blessing in disguise. Um, I go. I'll tell. I'll, I'll I'll kick off my mood. My mood is I'm like on day, I think four or five of Ramadan right now. Um, and so I'm feeling, I would like, I like the at peace that you mentioned um, because I'm feeling at peace with, the, I'm over the hump of like the struggle bus with Ramadan. Like the first couple of days were rough, you know, you're seeking water, you're seeking whatever, but I think my body is settling in and it's just crazy how um, adaptable our bodies are. You know, you take out food and water or something that you do every single day, three times a day. Um, and you find some sort of level of peace in it. I'm, so I'm feeling like, you know, I've come over the hump. Um, I'm definitely excited. I can tell that I'm excited. There's just a lot of, these are one of those conversations where there's a lot of curiosity and I'm just really excited to explore the curiosity and understand kind of a little bit more from, you know, your lens, but I would say I'm feeling accomplished, uh, adaptable and, uh, excited. 
for today's episode. Mm, love it. That's great. And yeah, I know I've been through some Ramadan experiences with you and I know those first days are always so tough uh, just getting through. So I'm glad that you feel over the hump. And for me, last up, my mood check is still processing, to be honest with you. It was a late evening for me at the, at the business. And so I am still processing, I guess, the way in which I feel, which is very fascinating. I've been sitting here like, okay, he's at peace. Okay. He's feels like he's over the hump. Like what, what is happening on my end? And I'm like, I think I'm just here. Like, I, I think I'm just showing up in whatever capacity or the best capacity that I can. So I would just say focused and attentive because that's what I, I feel is necessary for this current space to, uh, to, to knock this bad boy out of the park. So unreal. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So as we mentioned, we have a incredible guest who is going to be reaching into the depths that we're not fully a hundred percent in, uh, because as I mentioned, he is a doctor in, and he's a men's health urologist. So Justin, we're going to, we're going to leave the floor to you first and foremost, tell the audience and I guess us as well, who you are in a bit of a more detailed, uh, explanation. Yeah. So, um, thank you. So, um, so I'm a urologist and I specialize in men's health and, um, Men's health is, so, you know, the whole thing behind men's health, it's a little bit newer. It's a newer idea or it's a newer subspecialty within our field. Um, we're essentially like the primary care doctors for men. Um, and urologists historically have been viewed as that, uh, but urology is such a broad field. And I don't know how people, if people are familiar with urology, but it's involved with dealing with the kidney, the bladder, the prostate, urinary issues, um, sexual dysfunction, um, fertility, all that. So it's all the, the male reproductive and urinary functions. Um, women have the same thing, but they have OB-GYNs. At the age of 20, women are seeing their OB-GYN annually up until um, the later years of their lives. Men don't have that. So this is what we do as men's health urologists. We're that uh, bridge or we're that early on, we're the, we're the guy that doctor, the doctors that patients come to address their early on men's health needs. So what are early on men's health needs. So um, really there's three things. It's guys between the age of 20 and 50 really have three um, needs that they come to me for. Number one, it's sexual dysfunction. So if they're having any issues with um, erections, orgasm, um, ejaculation, anything when it comes to their core or um, issues with sex, that's the first thing they come for. The second thing is fertility issues. And this is something that a lot of people just don't um, realize. A lot of people have fertility issues, right? And it's not just a man, it's not just a woman. A lot of times it's both. But I'd say at least 40 to 50% of the time it's because of the guy, right? The guy has either low, low counts, his sperm aren't swimming enough, they're not, there's something wrong with their sperm. Um, so that's a big reason they come to me for uh, as well. And then the last one is testosterone. And um, you know, I think there's been over the last year, there's been some um, news articles that came out talking about how men's testosterone levels are going down decade after decade compared to the 1950s to where we are now. Men's testosterone levels are a lot lower. Um, and I believe it. Um, a lot of that has to do with, I mean, not what I, not just what I see in my office, but um, you, you think and you see what, you know, our sedentary lifestyle as guys or in society in general, we're not out there getting sun. We're not as active working nine to five jobs going from one 
one building to another building, going home, sitting down, watching Netflix, whatever it is. And COVID obviously made this whole much, much worse. It accelerated this whole process. But low testosterone for young guys, again, as much as they don't like talking about it, it is so, so common. Yeah, I feel like you kind of you, just your your field of work and, you know, the field of study that you're in. I just feel like probes so many questions. I have the follow up yeah. questions I have is <laughs> out of this world. But um, let's uh, before we get into your work and unpackaging a lot of the you know follow up questions that we have, who is Justin? Like who, 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 who are you? Who are you before you were a urologist, before you had the DR in front of your name and you know, you, you aspired, it's a long journey to put, you know, the DR in front of your name. So it's like, who were you before that? Um, who was Justin? How would you describe yourself in like, you know, a few words? Good question. I mean, sometimes you forget about who you are throughout this long process. <laughs> it takes for, I mean, it takes many years to become a doctor and a lot of it, you're focused on your, your goals and mm. there, there's chapters of it where you kind of forget about yourself. There's no question about it. I think once you're done with it, once you're towards the end of the, the journey, you, you have a lot more, you have more free time to have insight into yourself. So I think some of what you're, some, to answer some of what your, your question, I think some of it I'm actually, um, I've probably figured out a little bit more over the last few years, but mm. um, I guess in simple terms, I'd like to think of myself as a kind-hearted guy. I'm very ambitious um, and I'm very goal-oriented. So I think there's, um, I have certain goals and I think the beauty of what I do within this field, there's a lot of goals, a lot of things I could achieve. And then um, in terms of, you know, I do, maybe I do it for, for, for selfish reasons, but, you know, talking to people on the day, you know, getting to know people daily at work and um, throughout the hospital, not just patients, but um, the beauty of what I do is you, you interact with tons of tons of people. So I love that. I love that part of it. So uh, being kind and um, socializing with people is a big part of who I am and what I do. Mm. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that, that's the the depth of who you are as a as a doctor. I think speaks to your ability to work with people, right? Like, I think that there's a lot of situations, at least in my experiences, where the, the doctor doesn't necessarily feel like someone I want to continuously visit, if you will, and be a part of on my journey. And so, character is such a huge aspect. I think that. I don't know for and maybe Anwar, you're listening, or other people listening, is not something that I think is like maybe top of mind of like, okay, I'm worried about my doctor's character. And so asking you that question, I think opens up the opportunity for you to be like, okay, well, what is my character? And I'd love to know, you mentioned like ambitious and goal oriented. Uh, these are some of the basic quality traits that I think everybody is looking for in a man. I know that sounds like a, an odd statement, but I would, would want to know what created that for you. Like, how did you become so ambitious and goal-oriented? Was there something that you were achieving when you were younger, a push that you were having uh, to be somebody when you were younger and then growing up that transitioned into who you are now? Uh, what created the, the ambitious and goal-oriented, Justin? It's uh, <laughs> a good question. I think, you know, I've thought about this myself, actually. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, like, like most things in as adults, right? It all comes from... Um, who we are as children, you know, a family we're raised in, and not just in our action with our parents, but our interaction with our siblings. And I think for me, a lot of it has to do with my interaction with my, my, my older brother. My brother's a little bit, he's uh, like less than two years older than me. And him and I grew up together, um, essentially we're the same age. And we, we play sports with each other and we get it, you know, this competition or the competitive nature in, the, in those games were extreme. Um, and, we, neither of us wanted to lose. And it become this, every day it becomes this thing with, we'd play basketball, that was our sport. But the, the lose, we'd do anything not to lose, right? And that I think just 
And I think, I think that was the beginning of it. And ultimately like every day, every week, every month, every year, when it becomes like that, you just develop this, like you, you tap into this competitive or this, um, yeah, this competitive side in you where you don't want to lose or you're, you're, you know, you're trying to do something every day to improve yourself so you can beat him in basketball, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's, that was the start of it. And that spills over to other parts of your life, whether it's um, school, um, you know, you know, achieving things within school and then later on in life, um, goals at your job and goals in terms of um, with your career. So um, that was the seed for me, I think. Mm. Um, and ultimately I kept watering it and it became where it is now. Mm. Yeah, those, 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 those backyard basketball games will get yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do anything to go back to those days. I, I do. wish you could play basketball like that. You can't know. do that. So you know you know what's crazy that you said that I'm just having a reflective moment. It's like, I'm, I'm one of those people who I would, I would die on the sword of like, I think I'm competitive. You know, I think I'm definitely competitive, but as I've kind of grown up, I've lost my competitive edge. I would say, I guess, because one, when I go back to playing basketball, I'm not as good as I used to be. So the desire to want to, you know, bust somebody's ass for lack of a better term, <laughs> isn't there. Cause I'm not as good as I used to be, but when you're at peak performance and you have a willingness to want to win at all costs, that competitive edge is so sharp and it actually did parlay into the rest of the areas of my life very easily. Like I'd get off a basketball court and then whatever the next task was, I was doing it at 120 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's crazy that you say that. Cause yeah, just reflecting back, it's like, I do think I've lost my competitive. I don't think I can say as confident, like I'm a competitor, you know, as, 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 as I did back then. Um, but let, let me tie that back into, you know, you know men's libido you know testosterone you know i think that's that's it's a very good nice segue is just you know Mm -hmm. losing that edge losing that competitive nature losing that 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 flow state i've talked to so many guys that are my friends who you know they might be in a relationship for two three years and they're like they're not even having sex anymore you know they're talking like once this and that you know they're putting on a little bit of weight Uh, can you unpackage some of that and all of that you know how your libido affects your testosterone level and you know how how men can lose that edge or lose that kind of you know um that competitive spirit yeah i mean um you know it's not so that you know i was saying it's not uncommon to have low testosterone right the symptoms of low testosterone are are not universal um it's not like everyone has, has to have every symptom of low testosterone for them to have low testosterone but one aspect may affect me more than it affects you guys um but um, so, for example, like the main symptoms associated with low testosterone, the big ones that guys come in for, it's number one is energy levels, fatigue, right? They're like, I come home after an eight hour work day and I just want to lay down on the couch and take a nap. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go to dinner. I don't want to talk to my girlfriend. I want to talk to my wife. I just want to lay down. I don't want to do anything. The other one is, um, like you said, libido or erectile dysfunction. I don't want to have sex, right? So I'm not interested in that. I see a woman, I'm just not interested. It's not for me. Um, so sexual dysfunction amongst those things. And the other ones are like mood. They're more irritable than they used to be. They're a little bit more depressed. They're not sleeping as well. They're not exercising the way you do. They spend an hour at the gym. Now they're spending 15 minutes and they're ready to go home. Um, these are broad concepts within the field. Now within the, the diagnosis of low testosterone. Now, um, the thing to remember when it comes to low testosterone also is this. And I think um, some doctors prescribe, uh, subscribe to this policy and um, this idea and others may not, but it's, um, diagnosis of low testosterone is pretty straightforward. It's symptoms and then a blood test to check your blood levels. Um, but this is the part that becomes a little bit more confusing where we say the range is anywhere from 300 to 1,000. That's the normal range. And that's pretty broad. But my, my testosterone needs are different than 
yours and is different than let's say I don't know, Shaquille O'Neal, right? So I may need I function at 400. You may function at 600. So I may need to function at 900. So right. you want to look at both the symptoms and then the number in order to uh, appropriately or properly diagnose low testosterone. Mm. Interesting. Uh, what part or how heavily of a part does physical activity play in this process? Like for me, I'm very much like a natural path. So I'm always looking for like, what is the way that in which I can just essentially take care of this or work on this or improve this um, from my own lifestyle? Uh, and maybe that's a little bit of the man speaking of like, I don't want to go to the doctor to admit I have low T kind of idea. Um, but what part does like that? Two questions. Competitiveness play in that? In, the, in regards to sports and activity um, versus like just regular working out and physical activity in that sense, like running or going to the gym or something like that. What part do those two things play or how big of a part in testosterone? Huge, right? Huge. So the lifestyle stuff, the reason why, why we have low testosterone at a young age is because of lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Big ones being sedentary lifestyle and then stress. So mm -hmm. um the the precursor to so we're talking about stress the same hormone that goes towards the stress hormone is the same one that goes towards testosterone so um if you're stressed out you're gonna have more of that stress hormone therefore less of it's going to be shunted towards producing testosterone um that's why i don't know if you guys are familiar with ashwagandha mm -hmm. um ashwagandha helps relax i mean it's basically it's a it's a, guys use it to help relax or anybody uses it to help relax i don't know if you use it before sleep it works wonderful to help you sleep if you are anxious mm -hmm. um there's data, there's randomized control studies that show if you, for some guys who are really stressed out, if they're taking ashwagandha on a nightly basis for three months, they're going to improve their testosterone levels. Um, because less of that hormone, like I said, is going to, towards cortisol, the stress hormone, more of it's being shunted towards testosterone. But the lifestyle stuff, things that you can do to improve your lifestyle, it's, it's, it's easy for me to say, obviously it's hard to implement, but it's really easy. There's three things, eating, sleeping, and moving. So when it comes to your diet, diet's a big part of this. So it's, it's really having a, a good balanced diet. Um, and in, if I could break it down in simple terms, it's if you could have like, if you look at each plate, right, each plate that you eat, if you could have like 60% of it being leafy greens, right, like the vegetables and whatnot, that, that's where you get a lot, of, a lot of your minerals and nutrients. That's where you get your zinc, which is very important for um, testosterone. That's where you get your magnesium. All these things are good for testosterone, these, these phytonutrients for uh, testosterone production. 30% of it make it a lean protein and then 10% of it make it a carb, right? If you're able to stick to that for a few weeks, let's say maybe a little bit more, four to six weeks of just doing that on a regular basis, that, that addresses your diet. Exercise, right? This is the big one. It's, it's compound muscle exercises are the key ones in order to naturally boost your testosterone levels. So um, pull-ups, push-ups, bench press, deadlifts, and squats, right? These are your big muscle groups, your chest, your back, and your legs. By doing those heavy weight lifting um, two to three times a week, throw in some cardio once a week, not too much cardio because we, we figured out that guys who are marathon runners, they run at, at their hypogonadal or their low testosterone levels, right? Uh, uh, marathon runners, because that type of stress, because you're, you're stressing your heart more than you are your muscles. So you're not producing as much testosterone. Right. Marathon runners, triathletes, their testosterone levels are lower. So you got to throw in um, some cardio, but a lot of it's weightlifting. And then sleep um, is the big one, at least seven hours of sleep a night, at least. Um, they've done studies. They've done studies. Um, I think this was at the Cleveland Clinic. This was sometime in the last decade where they compared the age match 
um, medical residents in the, in the ICU compared to everyone else in the ICU, from the nurses, the janitors, um, everybody else who was there. If you compare, because the, re the medical residents were sleeping ir irregular hours, the medical residents, their testosterone levels, I believe it was 150 or 200 points lower than everyone else. And I mean, the main thing was, I mean, a lot of it was lifestyle, but sleep was a big component of that. Um, so yeah, those three things, those three things. Um, we'll do a new room, we'll, we'll change, we'll boost your testosterone. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I, I subscribe to having a little bit more, like I like that kind of, you know, when I go into a doctor's office, when they tell me that information, I'm like, okay, great. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what about for people who are a little, let's say a little bit more chronic and a little bit more Western medicine wired, like, you know, they, they want to take a pill right now, or they want to, is there, what are some of the other solutions that can help with testosterone? Um, or, or what are your, are there, is there any other, you know, advice that you'd give for someone who's struggling with low testosterone levels? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, most guys are, are more willing to do this, this, you know, go this route, the one I'm telling you now, because so I'll always tell guys like, look, you have low testosterone. My goal is not you're, if you're 28 years old and you have low testosterone, my goal is not to keep you on these medications for the rest of your life. Right. I'll get your testosterone levels up. You implement these strategies that we just talked about. And then we slowly mm -hmm. come off. Right. We'll get you up. You maintain. And then the medication comes off and you're good to go. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Um, and most guys are able to do that, especially young guys. They're able to, they're able to, um, the motivated ones, the ones who are actually coming to your office, they're obviously motivated. So um, they're able to do it. But to, to ways in which to boost your testosterone levels, um, I mean, it, it, there's really, it's, there's a couple options, but it's, it's all about one question when it comes to testosterone is how, how interested are you in terms of boosting or in, how interested are you in terms of fertility? Um, and this is, I can't tell you how many patients come in on a given week because of this. It's when, if you're taking testosterone replacement therapy, your sperm counts essentially go to zero, right? It's not permanent. It's not permanent, but during that time, it, it kills your, your sperm production. And I think a lot of these men's health clinics, um, you know, the ones that you see around town, we have a bunch of them here in Los Angeles. Um, they don't tell guys that. So a guy's 28 years old. He's been on it for a couple of years. He's been on injectable testosterone. He's like, I have some firing blanks. I got zero. You ask him, are you on testosterone? He's like, yeah. Been on for mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly why you come off of it. It takes about four to six months. Once they come off of it, they're producing Whoa. normal that's sperm. A, Whoa. That's yeah. A, that's much longer than I thought, especially too, because I think about going to the doctor or not the doctor, the, the health food store, and I can just pick up a container of what it says, tea boosting pills. Um, the, just, those don't those are different those are different. okay 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 good yeah. to know good to know because that got me a little alarmed i'm like oh i could just go kill my own sperm count and not know it from the from the drugstore on my own this is a little alarming and then at four to six months to get it all back oh that's that's wild but that's a, that's a long time yeah but that that's what the science shows on it that's what the studies show but I, i'll tell okay. i'd say roughly about three months at least three months okay. um but the uh the boosters don't affect it. The booster, it's it's more the testosterone replacement therapy, the gels, the mm -hmm. injections. Um, now they have or, the, some of the pills and the nasal sprays. So that's the testosterone replacement, the TRT route. However, um, there are other ways in which we could naturally boost your testosterone. There's some off-label um, fertility medications that we use, um, one of which is called uh, clomiphene. It is used off-label, but that helps boost up uh, men's testosterone levels naturally it boosts up your fertility and your testosterone levels and then there's some injections um hcg being one of them um 
in order to naturally boost the T. But yeah, like I said, the main question is the, 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 the crossroads is, um, is fertility important to you? And for me, any 35 year old guy, under 35 year old guy who comes in, I try to steer them towards, or at least I, I, I make sure to discuss this with them, but most of them ultimately choose um, to go the non-testosterone replacement therapy route. Okay, I wanted to shift gears here. Very alarming stat I read. 40% of men under 40 struggle with erectile dysfunction. Alarming. Yeah. Super yeah. alarming. And so for people who think that, you know, they're they're on an island on their own, I think that stat kind of screams that you're definitely not on an island on your yeah. own, right? Um, and that your clinic should be, there should be a long lineup of people trying to get some advice. Um but to save those guys who are, you know, still hesitant to step out of their comfort zone and go see help, what are some of the, you know, you kind of run through the same gauntlet that you did with testosterone here. You know, what are the main, you know, uh, reasons why erectile dysfunction is so prominent uh, in, in, in our youth? Um, in our, I think 40 is still pretty young. Um, what is the biggest problems that, you know, you're finding with, uh, you know, ED? Um, and what are some of the biggest uh, solutions that you think, you know, have helped that or, you know, have helped mitigate some of those ED functions? Yeah, it's, I mean, I'd say about 40% of guys under the age of 40 have experienced erectile dysfunction at some point. Uh, some of them are definitely struggling with it. Like, you know, they've, they've been dealing with it for, for a few years or they have um, significant erectile dysfunction, but more of them are just they've experienced. And obviously every decade it gets worse. We say 50% of the age of 50, 60% of the age of 60 and on. Mm. Um, but, but the reason why, I mean, I, I, I think that um, at least my, my idea behind this, just because I see it often is, Two things, um, lifestyle, like we talked about, um, that sedentary lifestyle leads to things like hypertension, high cholesterol, diabetes, all of these decreased amount of blood flow to the penis, um, decrease your testosterone levels as well. Um, and then the other one is pornography. Uh, pornography has really impacted, it, it's really played a negative role in terms of um, expectations. So I think I mean, we all, I mean, we're all nodding our heads here because we, it's, it's a no-brainer, but we see how pornography has changed since the time I was, you know, 16 years old, right? It's completely changed. It's, you know, back there, you're using 56K and you're barely getting some, you know, images and now it's anything and everything you want. I think that messes, obviously messes with, with people's mentalities or their expectations, what they think of is normal sex. And they're just not getting as excited because um, they're able to essentially be naturally, st able to be stimulated um, in the most extreme form, anytime, whenever, and whenever, whenever, and wherever they want. Um, so that's a huge, huge impact. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they, they excessively masturbate and all that leads to questions about um, the, the shape of their penis, how their penis looks, all this. It's created a lot of anxiety along, amongst young guys. I see a lot of patients who come in, they think they've broken their penises because mm -hmm. um, of excessive masturbation. But um, yeah, pornography has ruined a lot of things um, for young guys. <laughs> Interesting. That I'm so glad you brought it up. It's something that we were discussing in prep for this episode is how do we get into that conversation? Because it's so obvious and prevalent in kind of like elephant in the room type of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like if we're going to talk about ED and testosterone and reproductive health, at some point you have to dive into the realm of porn and what that has done uh, 
to us, uh, if there's anything that's actually done for us, that whole concept is incredibly fascinating. And so I think for me, I have noticed those exact repercussions, like that idea of being a little too into it, that it's because it's always accessible, uh, it influences me in a negative way. And it influences the way my partner and I operate in a negative way because of how I have always known it to be. And the unfortunate part for me was that it was just so accessible, so young, right? Like, and I can't imagine what it's like for a young lad now. For me, it was like 10, um, where it was like, okay, here it is. And I could find it on LimeWire and I could, you know, slowly download the, over time, I could get access to it, right? And then somehow you'd find a way to, I think at one point I was trying to get a Playboy magazine from the, from the store, like just the, all the wild ways in which it was accessible. Uh, and now it, there isn't a wild way. It's just go to Google and it's there, which is so unfortunate for the young lads. So, um, I'd love to know, like, what would be, I don't, I don't even honestly really even know what the question is. I think it's just more about addressing it. I think addressing it in the sense of like what we just did. I don't think I have a follow-up question. I think I just wanted to make sure that we were stapling that point home, that porn is negatively influencing a ton of how we operate sexually. I could throw in a question there. Uh, I wanted to, I think, do you think that, you know, obviously there's this fine line between, and I, you know, men do the whole pendulum thing, right? They're like masturbating like way too much. And then they're like, it's horrible for you. Like you shouldn't do it at all. Like, where's the continuum for real? Like, where, where are we actually on that line? And, and my thing also is like, there's some people who go, okay, cool. Well, even that one, you know, say you're not doing it so frequently, you're doing it in a responsible way are the images that are playing in your mind actually numbing your concept of like what real pleasure feels like, which is actually leading to the problem of erectile dysfunction. Cause you've now replaced what you enjoy as pleasure with this digital thing. And now when you're in front of the real thing, you're unable to perform, you're unable to engage in the way you want to engage because you've created this like conditioning for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so definitely, I think to answer your question, um, yeah, all of that uh, pornography does lead to all of these uh, issues. But in, in many ways, pornography also allows for healthy masturbation, right? And I think ejaculation in general, or whatever ma masturbation is quite it's quite important because um, it's, I mean, as we know, it's a stress reliever in many ways. Um, it, it puts you in tune with a part of your with the aspect of all of our lives that are quite important. Uh, makes you comfortable in that setting. Um, so it is important and in terms of finding what, where that balance is, you know, there is no right answer, right? There's no right answer in terms of how often or, you know, how, you know, some people, some people for them doing it once a week is quite, you know, it's perfect. And some people doing it once a day is not enough. So um, there's a sex therapist that actually told me this. I thought it's the best advice I've gotten regarding this. It's for every two times that you um, watch pornography in order to masturbate one time, just do it mentally right? Without, without watching anything, just use your, make sure you're using your own mental creativity. Um, and I thought that was pretty good. And I, I tell, I tell patients that too. Now I try to, you know, let them know that this thing is, it's just another way in which they could um, minimize their reliance, or at least, at least reset some of their expectations regarding um, pornography and then the potential abuse of pornography. Hmm. I like the way that you phrase that because I, I don't hear in any of the things that you're saying, like, don't watch porn. 
Like you're not, you're not telling people to eradicate it all together, which I also find actually incredibly fascinating. But what you're just saying is find the right balance where it doesn't become a reliance, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, look, if you're, if, 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 some guys, I get it. I get it. Right. Some guys are horny and they, they want to um, masturbate more than another guy, which is fine. But if, if on a Saturday night, you're going to, you're going to spend your Saturday night or whatever the night when you, rather than going out with your friends, you're indoors um, at your computer or wherever you are doing, you spending your time watching pornography and it's impacting your social life, your sexual life, your work life, all mm-hmm. those things. And yeah, at that point, it's, it's a problem, but that's where I'd say it's, it's becoming an issue. But you know, if you're throughout the course of the week, if there's times where you find yourself um, masturbating, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. But the two to one ratio, I think it's, it's quite important. Mm. Beautiful. I love that you double down. Go ahead, Anwar. I was going to say, what about, is there, is there a correlation between, cause we all know that feeling of like the lethargic feeling that comes after, whether it's, you know, <laughs> whether it's sex, whether it's <laughs> masturbation, you know, the feeling, right. And I, I feel like that feeling doesn't help that fatigue, that, that, gen, that gentleman who's in your office, who's like, I'm so tired and I can't do anything. It's like, okay, well, what did you do right after you came home from work? Right. Like that probably, even though that's helping sexual health, it's hurting every other health, you know, um, what is, first of all, what, what scientifically is that drop-off? Like, why is there that feeling that comes if there's a way to prove scientifically why that drop-off happens and what is the correlation between like testosterone reaper, like rebuilding it back up after you've kind of had like the ejaculation just for people who don't, um, fully understand that. So, um, that drop-off, I, I don't think it's, it's for some, right. No, I don't think everyone, no, well, I'll say this. In terms of that, when, when you have an intense orgasm, um, because you're being so stimulated, um, your, your muscles are contracting. In many ways, you're releasing a lot of neurotransmitters. You, your body's being overwhelmed, and then there's a little bit of a drop-off just because your body's recovering, right? So there's that short period of just uh, in, intense relaxation. Um, but it's not it, that shouldn't persist for more than, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour. Um, it's usually short-lived. Um, the second part, what was the second part to your question? Oh, I was just, I was just wondering if there's a scientific reason to prove that. Cause I do remember being like a football practice and like your coach being like, guys, tonight, we're not doing any of that. We need you ready to go tomorrow to hammer heads. And I was like, and I know boxers will like, you know, like chill out from that. So obviously there's some aggression and there's level, a level of like testosterone. I'm trying to, is that just because I'm trying to keep all the testosterone in to be at max production? And how does that kind of correlate with like, if I did, didn't listen to my football coach. Am I going to be okay in that football game? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is your body just reproducing it at a, a clip that you shouldn't really be that concerned? Yeah. So actually I've, I've looked into this. So there's no, so that mentality, right? Cause I remember some boxers, they don't, they don't ejaculate for like 30 days before their match, right? Before the fight. And it, it there's no, that's it, not, that doesn't make sense. Right. At least they've tested this. They've actually found out they were, they were testing people's testosterone levels before sex, during sex, right before orgasm, and then after orgasm. And it's, um, I believe it was, the, the peak was basically during sex and before orgasm. That's when it was the peak of testosterone. Um, but the drop off, it's not like you drop off so much far, so much below afterwards that you're not going to recover, but because you, you generally recover. So the point I'm trying to make is your testosterone levels essentially stays the same. You have this, this peak during sex, which makes sense. Um, but then shortly thereafter, you do, you know, it drops off and then you recover. 
So this idea of this, I remember this in, when we were in, in high school also, they used to tell us this, but no, there's no science to support that. Yeah, they've done studies. They've done, it's not a great study, but they've done a study on this and they didn't, it didn't uh, make the same conclusion. But that's funny that you say that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was very prominent. You're always like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You're holding yourself back. A lot, of, a lot of young high schoolers having wet dreams before their football game. You know? Yeah, and they're like, damn, coach, I can't start at quarterback this week. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it kind of did make sense when you correlated like the experience wise. Like it was like, okay, my football coach told me if you do this, you know, you're going to feel, you know, you're not going to have that edge. And then you, you, you had that drop off feeling. You're like, Oh, this guy must be right. Because then I want to go to bed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I was like, maybe there is something here. Maybe there is, but I've never heard it scientifically proven just by hearing it, feeling it. I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, you're much more relaxed. That's the thing. You're much more relaxed. That's the whole, you know, it, it, it releases these neurotransmitters, some of these happy hormones. So you become much more relaxed. And that's why some people like, I don't know if you've heard this. I have some patients who come in like, look, I wake up in the middle of the night, I have insomnia, I can't sleep. I'm like, so what do you do? Like, I, I, you know, I, I masturbate and I go back to bed. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. there you go. Because you really ultimately relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I definitely know that experience. Before, before we move on, I have an interesting question to, to phrase for you. Uh, I know you've heard of it. Uh, you have to being in your field. The concept of, of semen retention, right? This idea, uh, and I feel like it's very spiritual in the sense of, with keeping inside of you your creation of life essentially right so the concept of being able to orgasm without semen retent or sorry without ejaculating in a sense uh so obviously there's now a lot of teachers in this area supporting this narrative and i found it very fascinating because i wonder what part that plays in just daily life what is your perspective towards the idea of um, I guess, semen retention? Is it something that you feel is valuable or invaluable? I guess, scientifically speaking, because uh, the process of a, of a human, a man is to ejaculate, right? That's, that's what's happening. And what we're saying is, no, I'm going to stop it dead in its tracks, but I'm still going to try to feel the fullest extent of an orgasm. Uh, do you have a perspective on that? And do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts? So I, what, what do they do? They, how do they retain the semen? that's my i've never haven't personally taken a course so i'm not exactly sure but what i know what i hear is that uh essentially they go through the process of having sex or masturbating or whatever and then they when they are quote unquote orgasming they don't ejaculate so they feel the, the effects of it but they don't release anything they keep it and then they say that that is what is energizing them for life because they're keeping life inside of them does that make sense yeah interesting um i guess so to be honest i've actually never heard of that um but it's hard to just physiologically unless you really train yourself i think it's hard to orgasm without um emitting without emitting without ejaculating because um those processes go pretty much hand in hand Mm. um maybe they're able to like squeeze off the urethra so things doesn't things don't come out Mm. um but I would say the point, it's, it's, that's probably not a, a healthy way to work. I'll say this. It's not, not that I say that it's not healthy, but um, your, your semen are constantly, if you don't use them, basically, they, they dissolve and they get, they get broken down. And then those nutrients are essentially reabsorbed to produce more semen, uh, mm-hmm. more sperm, excuse me, more sperm. Um, so like, it's like when a guy has a vasectomy, right? He's still producing sperm. It's just not being emitted out. It's like a cycle. So are mm-hmm. you... 
your sperm are if you don't you if you don't ejaculate them out they're going to die off and then be reused so um yeah there's not um, i guess from based on my understanding of what you're saying i would say yeah. it's not as um maybe some of those benefits aren't as uh, as drastic or as uh, truly beneficial gotcha yeah i threw with you threw you a curveball there um and i think that what i, I have to look into that yeah what, what i take out of that is that uh scientifically speaking i like the the understanding now that it does just dissolve it doesn't necessarily get stored and i think that's a lot of big a big part of the theory is that it would be stored because you're not releasing it into the world yet uh spiritually speaking anyway so i think now scientifically knowing that it doesn't actually uh work that way it's not to say that for some people this isn't the right path uh, i was just interested to know scientifically what the process was yeah i'll look into that too that's interesting <laughs> wanted to uh you know one thing that we really try to do here uh, on the podcast is not only do we try to unpack we try to you know destigmatize things that have been you know uh in our society and have been stigmatized for years and i know that you know just being in your field you're ch- taking on a challenge of you know addressing conversations that aren't being had i wanted to talk about conversations for a second um two conversations if you are going through any of these um challenges and struggles uh, as a man what kind of advice do you give if they've come to you and they're like, I don't know how to tell my partner though. Like, I don't know how to communicate this to, you know, the person I'm, 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 I'm with, or um, even before they come to you, how, what advice would you give on how to na- navigate those conversations and start to get out of that comfort zone to start finding solutions to actually better yourself as not only um, an individual, but better yourself and better your quality of life. Uh, Cause ultimately this does play a huge role in your quality of life, but a lot of people are just not willing to have that conversation. Um, what advice would you give that person? How, do, how should you engage in that conversation? You live in Beverly Hills, so there were people in Toronto. How do they get a hold of someone like you? You know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, from my standpoint, from a, from a, you're asking, like, is it from a doctor to a, to a patient or like a friend to a friend? Let's go locker room, get you out of that doctor. Oh. Like, what would you, if I was a friend coming to you saying like, hey, man, I don't know how to talk to you. Um, my partner about some of the challenges that I'm having. Um, how would you advise them to kind of engage in that conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, like, like most things in a relationship, right. Communication is the most important thing, right. Honest communication. I think a lot of, um, and maybe you guys agree with me, maybe you don't, but uh, maybe I could just speak for myself here, but anytime there's a relationship issue, it comes down to communication, right. Open communication. So um, letting them know that, what you are experiencing. Let's say you're experiencing erectile dysfunction and has absolutely nothing to do with your partner. It all has to do internally, whether you're stressed out, whether you're, um, you just hormonally, you feel off, you're just not your same, you, you're not, you know, not, a, so the, the one thing is like, no one's batting a thousand, right? No one's, you know, you know, hitting hundred percent of their free throw shots when it comes to um, erectile function, you have good days and you have bad days. Um, and, you know, letting them know that, Hey, listen, you know, I'm in a particular state of mind. I'm not, I'm not myself right now due to stress or I'm just not as excited as for things. Um, so maybe, maybe, you know, my sex uh, is not something I could help you or I can't perform my best when it comes to sex, but there's other ways in which we could connect, whether it's emotionally, whether there's other forms of, of intercourse, whether it's oral, um, but open communication is obviously the key um, and letting them know where you are, um, and sometimes, yeah, maybe it is the impact of the relationship, the stress of the relationship, the, the problems within the relationship that are causing this, but um, truly just letting them know what's going on is the, the best way. I know that sounds simple, but um, that's what I would say. Mm. 
Well, I mean, simplicity wins, right? Every time I think that I know for me, I sometimes try to reach for complex because complex makes it feel like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense as to why I'm not doing it. If it was too simple, then I would just do it. So what's the complicated version? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's almost like a bit of an excuse. Uh, so I love, I like that, that simplicity. And I think it, uh, at least for me, I know that it's been tough conversations. Like you said, like, as soon as there's a challenge, it's the open communication. How open is it? Uh, and you really get to find out in these kinds of moments when something isn't going the way you want to. And uh, I think that's just a great point to make. To extend off that question, I think a big component of that is is the man's ego, right? Like that's one of the things I think we're really touching on in that space is uh, my ego gets in the way and I won't uh, want you to see me as less of a man, right? That's 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 the biggest worry. But I think another component of that is two big things, which would be size and how long we last, right? This comes into conversation a ton within relationships and honestly, even just maybe not in relationships, but in society, um, we're having these kind of short slights at people of how long we can last and how long we had sex for and how big we are. Is there some sort of scientific grounding that we can settle in so we can kind of end this conversation in a way? Uh, because I think the ego gets in the way of saying, okay, well, I'm bigger than you. That means I'm better. Or I can last longer than you. That means I'm better. Is there like generic numbers along those lines scientifically that we've proven to how long we last in the size average? Just so people can kind of get out of this idea of, um, you know, big is better and smaller is worse kind of idea. Um, I mean, Okay, so so regarding regarding um, size, the I mean, I can tell you what the average penile length is, but that doesn't mean anything, right? Because mm. it's it's um, there's girth component to it, there's a length component to it, there's the, what you know the receptacle where it's being inserted to, there's that component to it in terms of um, the size and the width of that whole of the of you know wherever you're inserting it. But I would say it's. You know, it's a, it's a, I know it's a, it's a question every guy wants to answer and every guy wants, wants a bigger penis and a wider penis, all that stuff. Um, but there is no real, there's no good answer to this, right? The average penis is like five, five I think it's 5.4 inches, right? The average uh, erect penis, 5.4 inches. Now, could smaller guys, those guys who are smaller than that have great sex? Yeah, absolutely. And can guys bigger than that have, you know, not so great sex? Definitely. So I, as long as you're having, and, and timing wise, it, it, the timing also, under two minutes, guys come in like, I'm not lasting more than two minutes. It's like, yeah, but you still have, it's, it's satisfying. Are you having a good time with it? Like, yeah, I love it. Is your partner satisfied? Yeah, it's great. So I would say like, it, as long as you and your partner are satisfied, it doesn't matter, right? There's no, it doesn't matter what the, what, what the rules are on this, right? There's no rule. There's no rules. So it really comes down. There's no objective number here. It's all about subjectivity. If you and your partner are both satisfied, excellent. If you're not, if you, uh, if you're satisfied, your partner's not or vice versa, that's when you can start having a conversation of, hey, maybe we could delve a little bit deeper into this, see what we could do. Maybe I could last a little bit longer and there's ways in which we could do that. But at the end of the day, that's the, that's the first thing you have to address. If you guys are both happy, that's it. You shouldn't even open a conversation about this. That answers my question. And that, that's what I, I think I just wanted the audience to get a we'll call it a professional perspective just to kind of put this to, to bed almost in a sense of just okay here's the doctor telling you here's all the numbers and, and none of it matters right how long you last in your size actually none of it matters because it really has nothing to do with it sex is not about any of that uh, but we've made it about it 
right? It's, it's such a big conversation. And especially growing up as young boys, it's even a bigger conversation. Like it's just so wild how it comes into our space. And I think porn is a huge contributor to that as well, Accurate. right? Because yeah, they, they make it seem as if they can last for hours, um, which maybe in their case, they're doing something to make sure that happens. Yep. And then of course, they're only filming the largest version of us that they could find yep. to make it more like, I don't know, fit, uh, entertaining in a way. It's very interesting. Um, so I, I appreciate that perspective. And again, just kind of putting those narratives a bit to bed. The male ego in your space, the stigmas that you deal with, just the fact, just getting someone into your clinic, you know, is, 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 is a mental hurdle in society. What can you say? What can you say to that? Well, um, it's, you're not, you're not, you know, basically I tell guys like not to trivialize what you're going through, but you're not the, you're not the first person to come in here with this today. Right. There's been a few people who have come into this to the office today with the same issue. What you're experiencing is incredibly common. Um, I mean, you alluded to it earlier with 40% under the age of 40 have experienced some form of erectile dysfunction. Um, but it's um, these issues, these issues, whether it's low testosterone, fertility is, is a big one that, that guys are worried about when they come in, um, and erectile or any form of sexual dysfunction, all of these, it's they're, they're common. They're really common. Like my clinic, right? I do men's health and... Um, I can't tell you how many guys come in. Like, really, it's like 50 guys a week at least come in with these issues, right? At least. Um, and I'm not the only one in Los Angeles doing this, right? There's a few of us. So it just shows you the extent. Um, and it's a, grow, it's a growing, growing field. Men's health is a growing field. And it's all throughout America. There's a need for this because this is an issue that you know, I think our parents' generation, our father's generation, they didn't talk about it as much. Like, all right, it's part of life, move on. Um, but younger generations are much more in tune with themselves. Um, with their needs and um, it's they're much more willing to talk about these things and what you guys are doing here is beautiful because it's it's allowing for guys or at least it's making it's destigmatizing um, some of the taboos and some of the issues and some of the conversations at least making it a little bit more available a little bit more open um, and a little bit more accepted for guys to talk about so it, I mean this goes in line with as, as, as much as important as it is for what I do I think what you guys are doing in terms of um, opening the conversation for this I mean this this reaches a wide, a much wider platform and um, makes this a little bit more normal and a little bit more um, of a healthy conversation for guys to have. Hmm. Beautiful. And I want to, I want to continue on quickly with the uh, fertility side of things, because we haven't dove into it deep. And I think, like you said, it's so common and such a prevalent experience uh, that normalizing it to some extent of at least having that conversation and being okay with it, I think is a huge step forward. Uh, but I know that on your platform, you speak a lot about the resources that are available for this concept of fertility and reproductive health. Uh, what's the science, I guess, behind fertility and reproductive health for men? And maybe it's a two-part question. How do we best take care of our own reproductive health? I'm sure lifestyle is going to be a big component of that, but if it's something beyond that, and then what's the science that helps us in that realm helps us continue on being fertile and being able to have children. Yeah. So, um, fertility is similar to like sexual health, right? For, uh, reproductive health and sexual health go hand in hand. The sense of if you're healthy, you're generally going to have good, uh, reproductive health and you'll have good sexual health. So, um, one thing we did is we did this study when I was at UCLA, uh, I did my fellowship at UCLA. And before I came, uh, when we were there, we did this study where it looked at guys who came in, for um, 
whether it was sexual dysfunction or reproductive uh, issues, um, we were able to diagnose 40% of them. We were able to diagnose them with something that something that was going on, whether it was they had undiagnosed hypertension, undiagnosed diabetes, undiagnosed high cholesterol levels. Um, some had varicoceles, which is an anatomic issue. It's varicose veins of the testicles, or they had low testosterone. So um, there's things that could cause these. These are some of the things that could cause um, issues with reproductive health. Now, what can you do to preserve or try to maintain good reproductive health? It's you know, basically, it's, I would say it's two part thing. Number one, um, if you are worried about your reproductive health, like you've tried for six months in terms of trying to have a kid and you can't, um, I would say do a semen analysis, right? There's a lot of these companies now that you could do this online. You order a test at home, you ejaculate into a cup, you send it out and they send you a report and that gives you a good sense. Um, if you do have issues, obviously see a doctor. If you don't have issues, what can you do to uh, preserve or maintain that reproductive health? It really comes down to the same things we talked about. Eating, eating that balanced diet of leafy greens, lean proteins, low carbs, um, and low co complex carbs is the key with that one. Second, sleep, seven hours a night. And then third, when it comes to exercise, four days of exercise, three days of weightlifting, one day of cardio, those types of things are just good for any type of testicular health and obviously anything that's good for your heart is good for your testicles. So, um, all of that, they go hand in hand. Mm. Beautiful. You know, it's so interesting listening to you speak on all of this, because I think, again, it goes back to what I was saying about the simplicity versus the calm, uh, complex answers. It's like all of this stuff is in our control. All of this stuff is literally at our fingertips. We just have to, you know, get off of the couch and go and do it. Uh, but it's like, what's the complex version again? So that way I can not have to do it. It's too complicated. It's too much work. Uh, when all of this is just basic human, it feels like uh, maintenance. Just eat, sleep, exercise, yeah. um, get some vitamin D, get outside, uh, be social. And generally speaking, you'll be good. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's stuff that I think we, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I feel like it was a lot easier to do a lot of these things. Now everything's at, you know, at our fingertips, you could order food, you know, within 30 minutes, your food's at your door and it's processed meals and stuff like that. And look, I'm not, I'm, I'm a victim. I'm, I'm a culprit of this too. I'm not perfect. I do. I, I do all these things. I, oh, absolutely. I, Same. Well. But, um, I try to practice what I preach, but I'm human. Um, but yeah, I mean, these things are, these things, it's, it's, it's a lot easier than we think. It's a lot easier than we think. Hmm. I'll, uh, we'll ask you a kind of final question to kind of wrap it up. Um, what we'd like to ask our guests in, in, in a different kind of forms, but today we'll kind of phrase it this way is, you know, if you were on your deathbed, uh, you know, and, uh, everything that, you know, you've learned, you know, throughout your long education, um, throughout your experience working in the clinic, um, throughout your experience serving young men and, you know, um, men between two, two, you said 20 and 50 is kind of the, the space that struggles with this the most. Right. Mm. Um, and everything that you've learned is get, gets taken away. You know, he's not going to come with you, but a young man walks into your office in his twenties and he, he's looking for, you know, sexual health advice. Um, where would you guide him? Where would you steer him? What would be, you know, three pieces of advice that you'd give this young man? Hmm. Um, I would say, um, so I would say um, the three things I would say, number one, um, I've, I've already said this in terms of, um, so overall health, you know, things that you could do for your overall health are 
those three things, eating, sleeping, moving, right? That's important. Um, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is do whatever you can to minimize your stress levels, okay? Um, we know stress, a lot of things in our life, a lot of problems when it comes to chronic diseases and cancers are associated with stress, body inflammation, everything associated with that. So anything you can decrease your stress levels, whether it's, um, we do know meditation and stuff, and meditation and exercises, but really what it comes down to is finding something you like, something that you enjoy, something that relaxes you and stick to that. Once you find that thing, stick to that. Um, and then the last thing is, and I think this is something that we're losing in American society, um, and maybe we are as a worldwide society, but for sure in America, we're losing this, is build a sense of community um, or have a strong sense of community. Um, and the reason I say this without going off on a tangent here, um, you know, I've been reading some, something about these blue zones. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the blue zones in the world. Um, they're where the, the oldest age population, they, they have that, the median age or the mean age of these communities are the highest in the world. And there's a couple of them, Italy, Greece, there's one in California here in Costa Rica. Um, there's one in Japan, I believe as well. Anyway, the things that they have, the common denominator in all these places, is a strong, strong sense of community where you're not just living for yourself, you're living for the people around you. Um, and I think as an American society, we're, we're losing that. Everything's much, becoming much more independent. Uh, we're doing things for ourselves. Everything is becoming for ourselves. So if you develop that sense of community, doing something not just for yourself, but for, for the greater or the, the, the betterment for those around you, innately as humans, we need that. Um, so I think those are the three things I would say. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And I appreciate you taking the time in that space to digest the question and really just ask yourself, what would it be? Because it's not a common question, right? It's, it's a very rare question to ever have that kind of perspective. And especially someone who has learned so much about how to support this. So I think that that was beautiful to witness. That was beautiful to witness. So thank you. Uh, Justin, where can the people find you? Where are you? Where can they access you? Is there a way to reach you? Uh, give them the details. Yeah. So you can find me on um, the, the different social media platforms. My name is Justin Human, H-O-U-M-A-N. Um, if you Google my name, Justin Human MD, um, I have a website, um, Instagram, Twitter, um, there's a YouTube channel um, and it, through, you could contact me through any of those outlets. There's a direct message either through Twitter or Instagram. Um, and then like, I'm happy to respond to any questions um, that you may have, but yeah, anywhere through social media, you can easily find me. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast, folks, Justin, uh, a huge, huge thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with us and for just being as honest and vulnerable as possible. It was such an eye-opening experience, I think, for both of us and for everybody listening to just get a different perspective on this, to get a, a, a different sense of what all of this means to us in regards to erectile dysfunction, uh, testosterone, fertility, and really just the, the realm of something we don't talk about, which is our uh, reproductive space, right? Uh, that whole unit is not a common conversation. So I'm incredibly grateful. Thank you for being here. I know Anwar sends his sentiments as well, uh, just for taking the time. And to finish up for everyone, if you're listening, don't forget to follow Justin everywhere he just mentioned. Follow the podcast at Modern Masculinity. The C is a K to represent the masks that we wear as men. And I think in this space specifically, we tend to wear some, some intense masks to protect ourselves. So we're here to shed those a bit and unpack these different concepts. Don't forget to subscribe, download. We appreciate you being here and we will see you in the next episode.
What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember that it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.